Take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. Hey! Spanning the continent to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. CannabisRadio.com presents The Russ Belleville Show The voice of the marijuana nation Hey, this is great, man Now, here's your host Radical Russ Belleville Good day, tokers and toquettes And non-toking lovers of liberty It is Monday, July 18th, 2016 And it's got to be 420 somewhere in the world Welcome back to beautiful legal potland, Oregon. We're coming to you from the 26th floor of the Ardea Towers here on the South Waterfront in Portland, Oregon, overlooking the Willamette River. And uh, boy, folks, I tell you, this is a tough show for me today. It's been a tough weekend for me, actually. Somehow I have ended up with some major lower back pain. Oh, my God. I was out all day yesterday, literally in bed all day trying not to move for how bad my back hurts. And it's not for lack of cannabis medicine. I got plenty of that. Boy, I got to do something about this. And uh, I hope this gets better soon because this is excruciating. I uh, I take back any sort of uh, uh, scoffing or disregard I held for people's back pain that they'd mentioned in the past because <laughs> this is killer. I can't believe this. Oh, my God. Anyway, let's get to the show here. Take my mind off of the pain that's going on here. And thanks to everyone out there, all my followers who've been uh, sending me well wishes and uh, all of their advice for how to deal with the back pain issues, heat, ice, weed, yoga. Uh, that's a few of the things that have been uh, no white starches, all sorts of all sorts of advice. Thanks. Uh, really appreciate that. Uh, but let's get to the show because we've got plenty of stuff to cover on today's show. It is Monday. And it seems like it's been forever since we've been on for a Monday show where we get to visit with Dr. Mitch Earlywine. So get ready at half past. Get your questions in our chat room because Dr. Mitch will be here with our cannabis Q&A. We'll be talking about all sorts of interesting studies that have been going on in the world of marijuana research. Uh, we've got that look at uh, medical marijuana states versus pharmaceuticals. We've got the uh, study on the Brains Reward Center to talk about. Uh, savings for Medicare, thanks to medical marijuana. We've got a look at sick time and productivity in states that have uh, medical marijuana. And we've got a study on just how much marijuana is contained in an average joint. We'll get Dr. Mitch's take on that, plus another study on medical marijuana versus Alzheimer's disease. So lots to cover on the scientific front today with the world of medical cannabis. Also on the show today, we've got a look at drug testing. Talk about science or pseudoscience going on in here. Uh, in our drug war data mining segment, we're going to take a look at the state of Michigan, which is the latest of the United States to do this futile drug testing for welfare program. It fails every time. It's failed most spectacularly in Michigan. We'll give you the data on just how many poor people applying for welfare got caught up in the drug testing in Michigan. Uh, and then at the end of the show, we'll have time for a radical rant kind of on the same topic, which is a look at these companies that are crying over the fact that they can't find workers who will take and pass their drug tests. Oh my gosh, it's a, it's a terrible thing for the business world out there. They can't find enough people to work for them who will agree to give them a cup of their piss. We'll tell them uh, what we think about that and what they can do to solve that problem. It's real simple. I'll bet you've even figured it out already. 
<laughs> also, we'll have time for a cannabis focus when we're getting behind the headlines today and take a look at the Democratic Party and their work on marijuana in the party platform, just how that came about and uh, what else is going on with the Democrats and their party platform. But all that comes after the cannabis radio news. And in the headlines today, we look at Arizona, where it looks like legalization will be on the ballot. We've got Philadelphia, where the Philly Normal and DCMJ activists are going to protest the convention. In Atlanta, we've got that study on Medicare to tell you about. Hawaii's got a problem with their dispensaries. There's controversy in Maryland over a lawmaker and medical marijuana. There's roadside drug testing coming up in Michigan. And Randy Moss in the NFL sounds off about drug testing. All that coming up. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Forwarding the cause of legalization and research of the growing cannabis industry one podcast at a time. The Cannabis Radio Network. Oh, let the marijuana llama tell you something now About a game for your phone gonna make you say wow The game's about the game of growing cannabis for cash Grow the seeds, sell the bud, put the savings in the stash Little by little your empire grows large Put the big celebrities inside your entourage You can choose to play with Snoop or me or Cheech and Chong Cypress Hill, Willie Nelson, Wiz Khalifa with a bong The name of the game is Himping, that's the point Download and play while you life yourself a joint the business of cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot-proofed by the man who run high times. Oh, yeah. Get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out. Got to tend to me on crops, you know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc. We love it. I'm Radical Russ Belville, inviting you to join me every weekday on CannabisRadio.com for the Russ Belville Show. It's the NPR of P.O.T. We bring you the latest marijuana headlines, cannabis analysis, drug war data, activist interviews, radical rants, and your live calls. Join me every weekday at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern, live only on CannabisRadio.com. The Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com, the national wildlife refuge for marijuana unicorns. Are you playing an acoustic guitar but want to be louder without an amp? Try a Resonator guitar. The fingerboard extension has National Resophonic and other resonators, square necks and round necks. Stop by the fingerboard extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. Go wild hog in the woods. It's time for the Cannabis Radio News. Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Cannabis Radio News is now available exclusively at CannabisRadio.com. Now your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds. This is Cannabis Radio News. 
This is your Cannabis Radio News for Monday, July 18th, 2016. Phoenix, Arizona. The National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws has endorsed the Arizona initiative to legalize marijuana that appears poised to make the 2016 ballot. Activists from the campaign turned in over 250,000 signatures for the initiative, which only requires around 150,000 valid signatures. However, a group called Arizonans for Responsible Drug Policy has filed suit to stop the initiative, claiming that proponents are misleading citizens about the full effect of the initiative. Legalization campaigner J.P. Holyoke called the lawsuit, quote, a desperate attempt, end quote, to defeat the popular initiative. The first hearing over the lawsuit will take place tomorrow. Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Activists with Philly Normal and DCMJ will bring the infamous 51-foot marijuana joint to celebratory gatherings at the Democratic National Convention. With the Democratic Party platform likely calling for reform of the nation's marijuana laws and the city of Philadelphia having decriminalized personal marijuana possession, there will be numerous events aimed at increasing awareness of marijuana reform. On Sunday, July 24th, Oregon Congressman Earl Blumenauer will speak at a $250 fundraiser. At 4.20 p.m. on Monday, July 25th, activists will engage in a flash smoke-in to kick off the DNC celebrations, followed by an 8-to-midnight free party. The inflatable joint will march through the streets on Thursday, July 28th, for a cannabis pride parade to close the DNC. Atlanta, Georgia. A father and daughter researching at the University of Georgia have concluded that the legalization of medical marijuana nationwide could save Medicare almost a half billion dollars annually. The pair looked at Medicare Part D payments for prescription drugs between 2010 and 2013. In the 17 states that had medical marijuana laws, they found doctors writing fewer prescriptions for the pharmaceuticals that medical marijuana can replace, but no change in other prescriptions for other drugs like blood thinners and antibiotics that marijuana can't replace. Most strikingly, doctors in medical marijuana states issued 1,826 fewer doses of painkillers. Honolulu, Hawaii. Hawaii medical marijuana dispensaries can now legally open, but not one is ready to do so. The State Department of Health said none of the state's eight dispensaries was approved to open by July 15th, the first day they were allowed by law. One big hurdle is the state hasn't certified a lab to test the dispensary's products. The state hasn't yet received any applications from interested laboratories, said Janice Okubo, spokeswoman for the Department of Health. Spectra Analytical Lab is working on an application, but the lab needs to be certified as meeting international standards, said Michael Covington, lead chemist. If approved, the lab aims to open by December and would test products for potency and traces of substances like heavy metals and fungus, he said. Baltimore, Maryland. Controversy surrounds a state lawmaker who helped usher in medical marijuana in Maryland and who is now applying for one of the limited production licenses in the state. Delegate Dan K. Morhame is the clinical director for a company seeking to grow, process, and sell medical marijuana, a fact he never disclosed in meetings with the Maryland Medical Cannabis Commission or during his time sponsoring the medical marijuana law in the assembly. Morhame is denying any sort of conflict of interest and says he checked or cleared his activity with the Maryland General Assembly's ethics advisor. Lansing, Michigan. Michigan State Police are setting up their first five counties to become test sites for roadside drug impairment testing of drivers. In addition to traditional field sobriety tests, the police will be administering roadside saliva tests for the presence of marijuana, heroin, or cocaine. 
Michigan State Police Lieutenant Michael Shaw said that they will not be, quote, randomly testing people, end quote, but that, quote, there's still going to be probable cause for a traffic stop just like it was, end quote. A recent New York Times Magazine expose showed that these cheap roadside drug detection kits are very unreliable. Los Angeles, California. Former NFL wide receiver and future Hall of Famer Randy Moss spoke out against testing for marijuana use among NFL players. Moss was open about his marijuana use during his career and criticized the league for considering marijuana use a character issue, referring to the case of a recent draft pick who was dinged for appearing on social media smoking pot. This has been your Cannabis Radio News for Monday, July 18th, 2016. I'm Russ Belville. Next to THC and CBD, you can now add CBR to your cannabis vernacular. CBR as in CannabisRadio.com. While the feds and state are doing their dance, you still need to transact business and manage your cash. Go professional and let your customers pay with PayQuick. They pay you and they earn rewards points. PayQuick connects to your bank account for free and secures all of your transactions. And with PayQuick, you can pay your producers and processors for free. Plus, it pays to have it because it makes depositing your cash safe and so easy. No cops, no crooks, just compliance and comfort, knowing you have your cannabis business in check with PayQuick. PayQuick, the safe and easy way to pay. P-A-Y-Q-W-I-C-K dot com. Hey, this is Willie Nelson for Norman. And I smoke pot and I like it a lot. I learned a long time ago that marijuana is a lot safer than alcohol. There's nothing wrong with the responsible use of marijuana by adults. It's time we stopped arresting and started respecting those who smoke marijuana responsibly. To learn what you can do to help, contact Normal at NORML.org or call toll-free 888-67-NORMAL. Marijuana is not addictive. But listening to the Russ Belleville Show is... Coming soon to a city near you, Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. Get all your cannabis accounting, legal, and compliance questions answered by their knowledgeable panel of industry experts who want to help your business boom. Whether you're a grower, dispensary operator, or a newcomer to the field, your business needs Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. For information on upcoming events, visit CannabisFinanceBootCamp.com. The world of cannabis is evolving at a frenetic pace. The Russ Belleville Show gets behind the headlines to take a deeper look at breaking news in our Cannabis Focus. Today in the Cannabis Focus, we take a look at the Democratic Party, which is hammering out its national party platform in advance of its convention next week. And... Lawmakers and observers have suggested that this is the most progressive platform in party history. A lot of that could be uh, attributed to the surprise, strong candidacy of Democratic Socialist Bernie Sanders and his 1900-some-odd delegates applying pressure to the party platform process. Now, they didn't get everything they wanted. Uh, There's still uh, a plank on fracking that didn't get accepted, a ban on fracking, on uh, a a way of finding public option health care, many things that were very important to those of us in the uh, Bernie Sanders crowd. But on the issue of marijuana, marijuana reform, marijuana legalization, we definitely can say that this is a huge victory for the forces of progress. The The preliminary draft that they've released on July 1st 
says that states should be laboratories of democracy on the issue of marijuana. And they say, quote, we support policies that will allow more research on marijuana, as well as reforming our laws to allow legal marijuana businesses to exist without uncertainty. And we recognize our current marijuana laws have had an unacceptable disparate impact with arrest rates for marijuana possession among African-Americans far outstripping arrest rates among whites, despite similar usage rates, end quote. Now, that's in the draft. This could still go through some changes, some amendments uh, as it goes through the party platform uh, committees at the uh, Democratic National Convention. But this is certainly the furthest any of the two major parties have gone in officially recognizing marijuana reform in their party platform. Uh, The last time a Democrat was so strongly in favor of reforming laws was Jimmy Carter. And that's taken us back 40 years ago, 1975, 76. In 75, Jimmy Carter was running for president, promising the decriminalization of up to an ounce of marijuana, saying that the penalties for the use of a drug should not be more harmful to the person than the use of the drug itself. Unfortunately, by 1978, he was forced to drop that platform plank uh, due to some uh, drug scandals that took place in the uh, in the White House in those latter years of the Carter administration. So it's been well over 35 years since we've had anything positive coming out of one of the two major parties on marijuana reform. Now, they talk about removing marijuana from uh, Schedule 1 and moving it down to possibly Schedule 2. That's something we still haven't heard uh, from the DEA, which had promised by the end of June to let us know what was happening with uh, that possibility of rescheduling. The uh, other thing that we have to take into account here is that the party platforms and the people running in that party don't always see eye to eye on these things. Bernie Sanders, of course, uh, came across not only talking about marijuana legalization, but actually did something about it, filing the first bill ever in the Senate to legalize marijuana, to remove marijuana from the Federal Controlled Substances Act. Now, it didn't get anywhere, but he made good on his promise to do something about it. Hillary Clinton is not so sanguine on the idea of marijuana legalization as Bernie Sanders is. She's far more cautious in her approach. At the uh, first Democratic presidential debate back in November, she said, quote, I do support the use of medical marijuana, and I think even there we need to do a lot more research so that we know exactly how we're going to help people for whom medical marijuana provides relief, end quote. Now, that quote bothers me a little bit, I got to tell you, because this idea that we need to do more research to recognize that marijuana is medicine that it's working for these people is ludicrous. They know it's working. We know it's working. It's not a secret anymore. Marijuana is medical. Cannabis is a medicine. When she talks about needing more research and to know exactly how we're going to provide relief for people, if you can hear the dog whistles in that to the pharmaceutical industry, then you've been listening to my show for a good long time because that's what that statement was all about. That statement was a dog whistle out to her donors in the pharmaceutical industry that, yeah, I'm going to go forward with allowing medical marijuana, but we're going to go, go slow. We're going to take it down to schedule two. We're going to take it down to schedule three so that the pharmaceutical companies can research marijuana 
Find out which components work for what. That's what she's talking about when she says to find out exactly how it works so that her buddies in Big Pharma can put it together in a pill, a spray, an inhaler, a suppository, anything but a smokable bud. If you like these medical marijuana laws we've seen from the past few states out east, New York, Minnesota, these non-smokable forms, dispensary-only sales, if you like those kind of medical marijuana laws, that's the kind of medical marijuana Hillary Clinton is talking about. Because I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. Oh, thank you, Senator Franken. We appreciate that. It's 20 after, folks. That means it's 420 in Denver, Colorado. I sure hope you have the opportunity to take a good, strong, healthy safety meeting right now. I know I need one. My back needs five. (laughs) Oh, where are the dabs when I need them? We're back with Drug War Data Mining right after this. Keep your cannabis cravings under control. Feed your mind with CannabisRadio.com. Play as Ted Growing, expelled botany sophomore and the biggest grower in town, only on Weed Firm Replanted. Available on the App Store and Google Play. It's a lot of work being the biggest grower in town. Maintaining a room full of plants while dealing with a slew of eccentric customers, from a hardcore partier to the curious neighbor next door. Is anybody home? Help me expand my bud business by unlocking new strains, customizing my grow room, and completing challenges that you can't get enough of. Grow your empire so big you can see it from space. Low on funds? Don't worry. Weed Firm Replanted is free to download. Download Weed Firm Replanted for free on the App Store and Google Play today. Get growing, Mr. Growing. Previously on the Stoner Jesus Show. We do have John McAfee. He's running for the Libertarian Party nomination for president. What makes uh, someone like you want to take the reins of this? We're so far behind. It's frightening. And in a cyber war, we can't hack into the Chinese. Back in 1979, they started building cyber defense systems. We didn't even think about it until 20 years ago. I've seen no candidates and certainly no one within government capable of dealing with this issue. The Stoner Jesus Show, live Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Or find the Stoner Jesus Show podcast on demand at CannabisRadio.com and StonerJesus.net. Peace, bitches. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. I beat China all the time. Okay, maybe you're high too. Hey everybody, it's Radical Russ here from 420 Radio, inviting you to be like me and get your ink done at Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo, Fort Worth's most female-friendly, clean, sterile, awesome tattoo shop. Thomas and his crew are true artists who can design you a custom piece or use a design you bring in. Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo also offers all styles of tattooing as well as piercings and all-around fun. In the DFW area, stop by Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo and tell them Radical Russ sent you. Trust me, it'll feel awesome. Promoting the end of adult cannabis prohibition is easy because we have facts, science, reason, compassion, evidence, truth, and logic on our side. It's even easier when researchers catalog it all for us. Learn how to gather the facts on marijuana use, arrests, seizures, rehabs, drug tests, and more on this edition of Drug War Data Mining. 
Today in the Drug War Data Mines, we take a look yet again at the phenomenon known as drug testing for welfare. State after state has tried this, the idea being that we don't want our government welfare dollars going to anybody buying a bag of weed. Unfortunately, as they find out time and time again, it does nothing to stop anyone from getting a bag of weed, and it wastes the taxpayers' money more than if you'd have just given the drug users the welfare in the first place. The latest state to prove this is the state of Michigan that has been running a pilot program for eight months to drug test applicants and recipients for its welfare program. And in eight months, they have turned up exactly zero. Zero positive tests. None. Zip. Zilch. Nada. They didn't get a single drug positive from anyone applying for welfare or anyone currently on welfare. They did this in three different counties. And what it does here now, the states that have tried this previously, Florida tried this once. Florida tried this by drug testing everybody who applied for welfare. In four months, they got a really low rate, like a 1.6% rate, something like that, and ended up spending far more money than they did than they would have saved on the welfare, right? But that only lasted for four months because a federal judge blocked it because it was unconstitutional. A drug test is a search and seizure. And even poor people have Fourth Amendment rights. So to require everyone to submit to a drug test, to you know, send in their pee in a cup, to do that for everyone was unconstitutional because merely being poor and applying for, say, food stamps is not an indicator that you've committed a crime. It's not a probable cause, a reasonable suspicion, or even a hunch that you're a drug user. So it was unconstitutional. So the states that followed after Florida figured a way to get around it. They issue a test, a quiz, a questionnaire, if you will. And then based on your answers to that questionnaire, it might determine whether or not you need to be piss tested. In Michigan, it was a 50-question screening test. That uh, if you if you uh, failed it, they could order you for a drug test. Well, first of all, you got to think about the people taking the test aren't complete idiots. They're going to take a fifty question quiz and they start seeing some questions in there like, uh, "Have you ever uh, taken drugs in your life?" Well, they're going to say, "Uh, no." They're going to. You think people might lie on a quiz that determines whether or not they get to feed their kids and pay their rent? Yeah, I think maybe there's a few liars. But even past that, even ignoring the fact that, you know, a lot of people are going to lie in this test, as of May, for this eight-month program, they did manage to find 303 people who failed the screening, people who were either applying for the benefits or were already receiving the benefits. And out of those 303 people, zero, zero positive drug tests. Now, the opponents of these tests, the opponents of, or the, the, the pro- proponents, I should say, of these tests oftentimes get upset when we mention that, hey, you're not getting any success here because they say, ah, ah, but what about the people who would have applied for welfare, but then don't apply for welfare because it's a drug test? Can't count them. You don't know how many there are. There's no count of how many people don't apply, right? Well, let's give them the benefit of the doubt on that. What do you suppose those people that can't get welfare then go on to do? Do you suppose when rent's due, their kids are hungry, that they just uh, 
just sit back and not do anything? Or is it possible they might commit crimes? Yeah, think about that. But here's the thing. In the Michigan situation, no one in the pilot program refused to take a test. Now, again, that doesn't count the people who might have lied and never failed that quiz in the first place to be suspected to take a test. So that part, that little uh, part may still exist. But of all the people, the 303 who failed the test, the quiz, I should say, they, none of them said, no, I'm not taking the drug test. They went ahead and did it. Now, what did this cost? What did this cost the people of the state of Michigan? Well, the appropriation from the legislature was $300,000, $300,000. Now the, uh, the people running the program say they've only spent $300 so far. Yeah, sure. Whatever. But 300,000 was appropriated for this. And I have to report at the end of September, uh, is when this thing finally ends. It'll be this one year pilot. And then they'll have 60 days after that, uh, to report. But this is, this is typical folks. This is what happens when you drug test people for welfare. For one thing, the people on the people that administer these tests forget a very salient point, and that's that drugs cost money, and poor people don't have a lot of that, and, and it's this mistaken idea that people who are drug users are slaves to the drug who are gonna you know abandon all other payments to anything else just so they can get their fix. That can be true in a small minority of cases, but the vast majority of people who use drugs do so rationally. And if the choice is between paying rent, feeding the kids, and buying a bag, they pay the rent and they feed the kids. This is what we found in a lot of these other states. We had uh, Arizona, zero positive tests. Zero positive tests. Uh, Ten states that have done this, that have had these little questionnaires to try to get drug test positives, have spent $850,000. This is in ten states, $850,000, and have come up with aggregate 321 positives in 10 states. Wow. And of course, the drug test rate amongst the general population applying for regular old jobs is somewhere now around 4.7%. Double or more the rate of positives among the welfare-using population. Drug testing for welfare just doesn't work. We're back with Dr. Mitch right after this. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. From dabs to chibas, sativas to indicas, we roll out a whole concentrate of fresh new content every week. It's like going from the greenhouse to the dispensary. CannabisRadio.com Cash? Sorry. I don't carry around cash. And I don't want to use the ATM and pay surcharges. You don't need to carry cash. Haven't you heard about PayQuick? Okay, tell me about PayQuick. It's the safe and easy way to pay. It works just like your debit card to securely pay for your purchase. And it gives you rewards points every time you use it. Nice. PayQuick, the safe and easy way to pay. P-A-Y-Q-W-I-C-K dot com. Georgia, 
Hi, this is Willie Nelson. Alcohol prohibition didn't work in the 1920s, and marijuana prohibition isn't working today. It's time we stopped arresting responsible marijuana smokers. It's the fair thing to do. For more information, contact Normal, the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. Call toll-free 888-67-NORML or visit their website at norml.org. The Russ Belleville Show, where the truth about marijuana gets more than a minute to speak. The Russ Belleville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News hey, hey. and Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest-growing business association in the fastest-growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years, and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel 1 on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. It's time for the Russ Belleville Show's Cannabis Q&A with Dr. Mitch Earlywine. Dr. Earlywine is a professor of psychology at the State University of New York at Albany and a leading author and researcher on cannabinoids and health who pins the Ask Dr. Mitch column for High Times Magazine. Get your questions ready in our live chat or call in to 971-533-7111 now. Welcome back, everybody. Time for our cannabis Q and A with Dr. Mitch Earlywine, who it seems like forever since we've talked to him. How you doing, Dr. Mitch? It's uh, hot and humid here. What can I say? Oh yeah, it's it's hot and humid a lot of places. Uh, it's uh, getting there here in Portland, Oregon, believe it or not. But uh, uh, glad to have you back, and we got so much to cover. But before we do, you've been away for a while. Anything you want to do uh, bring up before we get into the studies? would would guess so by all means if it's working for you please don't hesitate all right all right and uh, i'm having some difficulties getting the uh signal out to our listeners out there so let me uh rearrange a couple of things and see if i can make this work so they can actually hear you dr mitch that would kind of be helpful for the uh, rest of the show i think so let's see if switching this one will do that and uh there let's see if you're back dr mitch no, not happening. Hmm. Okay. Uh, let's see. What What in the world have I done this time? It always seems like I got some problems going here. I can hear you just fine, Dr. Mitch. It's the, uh, okay. it's the people out there. So I'm going to continue on so we can get the recording done. And uh, while that goes on, I'll see if I can get you uh, uh, in here on the, uh, uh, on the rest of the live stream. But the uh, first thing I wanted to cover here were some of the studies that had happened. And the one big one, uh, I, I covered this a little bit, but it was this study at a university of Georgia where they uh, took a look at Medicare and how it really revealed pretty conclusively that medical marijuana is replacing a lot of prescription drugs. What can you tell us about that? It's funny because the way it's been written up is sometimes a little bit confusing, but what we're seeing is really just very small individual changes in prescription drug use in states where medical marijuana is legal, but what a surprise, you multiply that by the literally millions and millions of folks who are on Medicare, and it adds up to quite a lot of money. Now, I got to admit, there's really a range here. These guys made some assumptions that uh, other folks might argue with, but I think this is a fair middle-of-the-road estimate that $470 million annually really could be saved uh, if we had uh, federal medical marijuana access. And, you know, you think about it, here's a plant that's markedly cheaper than damn near any prescription drug, and 
the kind of thing that uh, you know could really help a whole lot of people just a little bit, and some people a whole whole lot. It's it's going to add up. It just makes sense. One of the things I, f- I found interesting in this is that they took a look at the you know things like painkillers, anti anxiety, anti nausea, but they also took a look at blood thinners and other drugs that wouldn't uh, be replaced by medical marijuana. And what was the result there? Well, it's curious because you wouldn't expect there to be much of a change, and in fact, there really wasn't. And I think that makes me uh, feel like the the controls, if you will, are are pretty reasonable. So to say, look, it's going to help these particular pharmaceutical drugs, as you'd expect, given what we know about cannabis, makes me feel like this isn't just some statistical fluke. All right. Loving that report. And uh, let's take a look at another uh, study that came out recently. Uh, This one coming out from the University of Michigan says that marijuana use dampens the response area of the brain with that responds to rewards that in other words, we smoke a lot of pot, it's going to damage our brain's reward circuits. Uh, Is this something we need to fear? It's interesting because the uh, the hypothesis seemed a little far fetched when I first heard it. And to tell the truth, when you look at the data, the effect is really small. And so the the uh, small decrease in the amount of dopamine that's released is you know usually some index of how pleasurable you find something. But I notice they don't have subjective ratings of pleasure or, or anything like that. And sort of the tacit assumption here is, oh, everybody who smokes pot's not going to enjoy the normal social and you know academic or financial rewards anymore, and they'll turn into these slugs, and it'll be you know a motivational syndrome all over again. But in, in fact, we aren't seeing that in you know real humans in in real big cases. So I'm delighted that they did you know three MRIs across time over four years with a reasonable sample, 108 people in this smoke more marijuana, end up with this decreased dopamine response. Again, they're not randomly assigned, so I don't know. Were these folks clinically depressed? Was there something else that might really account for the decreased uh, dopamine release? And they might have actually been medicating for that with with the cannabis. And unless we're going to randomly assign folks to smoke cannabis for four years, uh, I'm afraid we're not going to know the answer to that one. Hmm. Okay, so uh, really making more out of this than, than what they've got. I'm afraid so. Okay. Uh, Another uh, study that we've got to look at comes from uh, this good news study, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, The Wiley Online Library published this one on states with medical marijuana having a decline in sick time taken by employees. Uh, Wow. what, What could be the meaning behind this one? What's curious is there also is a really compelling mechanism, and it wasn't just globally across everybody. It really was... Uh, among the folks who you would guess, sort of <laughs> males uh, our age, a little younger and a little older. And uh, I, I think it's really intriguing that, again, we have a relatively small effect, but uh, as you add those days up across the entire workforce, it really makes a big difference. And I know people are thinking, you know, glaucoma, epilepsy, Crohn's disease, stuff like that. But it's funny how getting to work can sometimes be the way to cheer yourself up when you've got some kind of chronic illness and getting yourself to feel good enough to head on in makes such a difference in your quality of life. And so, you know, when you look at literally hundreds of thousands of people, you find small effects really add up. And sure enough, we really could have fewer uh, sick days if we had medical cannabis available nationwide. So is this a case of people getting better relief from medical cannabis and therefore 
being able to work more? Or is it the fact that medical cannabis is the only relief they got and they didn't have any medicine before? And here's, you know, finally something affordable for them. What's intriguing is they don't really break it down by disorder. So all we have are just, uh, hey, it looks like having medical marijuana around uh, makes it so people show up. I think the you know subjective experience is much like you'd guess is you get up and you know you're hurting all over the- uh you know a half a gram with your coffee and suddenly things don't look so bad and you're happy to walk right in without that maybe you would call in sick mm, okay so a lot of this could be uh you know improvements in mental health as well exactly I think just anything that would contribute to that decision to to uh hop on over to the job all right. Uh, I love that because one of the things we hear from our uh, opponents all the time is that, oh, we legalize marijuana. There's going to be this this huge drop in productivity. And I'd always laugh at that when I think of the nicotine smokers getting a 20-minute break every two hours. That's a fine example. And, and data from Costa Rica and places where there's a lot of physical labor as part of their uh, GNP. Actually, it's the folks who have access to cannabis who seem to be uh, bringing home the bigger paychecks and uh, making more money. Again, it's not randomly assigned, but sort of consistent with the same idea. Now, this next story we've got, it interests me in particular because you and I are such data junkies and we're always pouring over these reports about how many joints someone smoked or how long they smoked and what effect it had. But this is a study on what exactly is a joint. And they, and they found that uh, we've been overestimating how large our joints are, uh, unless they live here in Oregon. Uh, what can you tell us about this, Dr. Mitch? And why is it a big deal to know how big a joint is? Well, we've always tried to have some kind of standard unit of cannabis. Uh, we've got a standard drink and alcohol, but that has wasted a lot of journal space just arguing back and forth. And I'm really suspicious of some of the assumptions on this because uh, this was all essentially calculated based on data that were already available and just didn't seem to have the – sorry about that. <laughs> I don't... See, the, the average joint getting in on us there. Yeah, reggae uh, music. All right. <laughs> it, just, it just seems it just seems to rest on some assumptions that I think are questionable. So I'm actually going to ask all our listeners to each mail me a joint at <laughs> Cannabis Radio, and I will measure them all, and I will report the average. And that no, <laughs> <laughs> obviously, what happens uh, is that you know you rest on certain assumptions, and I feel like the thing to do is actually get a sample of folks to come in and roll some joints. But as soon as you do that, what do they say? Well, you want a pinner? You want a big one? What yeah. am I rolling? Right? And then suddenly you find out this individual difference is a big deal. But generally, we've assumed that each joint was a gram. These results suggest that it's probably markedly less than that. I'm worried that this is going to get turned into some alarmist thing of, oh, we thought pot was bad at this dosage, but really it's bad at only a third of that. Mm. And it's really resting only on assumptions from data we've already gathered. And it's it's so variable because we don't know, are you using double wide papers, one and a quarters, are you using the long papers, are you using machine, you're hand rolling, you're using cones. I mean, there's so much variability in this. Uh, I wish you had a better way to come up with a standard, but um, uh, we'll find well, something. And then you look at the smoking topography, too. We notice that people automatically take smaller hits and hold them a little less long if it's stronger point, stronger cannabis. I mean, it's amazing how you, you have to really account for all of this stuff, and I'm not sure that... It can be done. I think there would be a lot of geographic and legal variability as well. I know the joints I roll here are a lot bigger than the joints I rolled in Idaho. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's get to our final uh, study for the day here. 
More good news on the medical cannabis front. A new study says marijuana could help protect the brain from Alzheimer's disease. We've heard a couple of things about Alzheimer's and Alzheimer's plaques. This one's coming out of the uh, June 2016 issue of Nature. What's the good news on this as far as as marijuana and uh, Alzheimer's goes? I was so delighted to see this because I was worried at first it's going to be just a rehashing of data we've already seen. But this is actually a new data set, separate lab, independent look at those uh, fibrillary tangles, the, the tau protein that seems to be the hallmark of Alzheimer's. And it's definitely decreased with THC and some other cannabinoids. And I, you know, I hear all the hemming and hawing, but now we've seen this in multiple labs and Given the negative consequences that are potential for, oh, my God, cannabis dependence, we have to take these data really seriously. But I've got to admit, it's time to start testing uh, all our friends 60 and over who have been regular cannabis smokers for so long and starting to look at real symptoms and real cognitive functioning because we've got enough animal work here to suggest that if this were any other substance, we'd be all over it. And we have markedly worse drugs being used as treatments for Alzheimer's right now. So the time has come to, to lift the ban and let folks with uh, beginning Alzheimer's get a, get a chance at these strong cannabinoids. Yeah, I, I've seen some memes go around saying that uh, researchers have looked at the, uh, the older demographics and find it, finding those summer of love baby boomers aren't getting Alzheimer's at the same rate the previous generation did. Is there any truth to that? Uh, nobody has been able to publish it, but yeah, at least two people have emailed me saying, based on some rather crude measures, just uh, some of these five-item uh, measures of just your, your cognitive functioning, it looks like it's happening. And I think, in fact, if they had more sensitive measures, we'd actually see things uh, being dramatically better. Um, it's sad because I tend to remember folks uh, in, in ways that are consistent with my own biases. But, you know, you've been around enough enough MFS and, and normal conferences to know the older folks are really hopping and doing just fine. Yeah, they seem to be. All right. Dr. Mitch Earlywine is the host of Burning Issues right here on CannabisRadio.com. And you can also reach him by email at 420research at gmail.com. We'll talk to you next Monday, Dr. Mitch. Thanks for joining us. Great to be back. And my apologies to the live listeners who are unable to hear that, but I hope you catch it on my SoundCloud page, soundcloud.com slash Radical Russ. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Legal to listen to all over the world. We're just not sure about France. Cannabisradio.com. The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Vuber way. The smoke is rising, and the next crop of podcasts devoted to cannabis providers and enthusiasts are ready to be harvested. 
Welcome to the Cannabis Radio Network. Founded by respected rainmakers who have been producing award-winning podcasts for over a decade. Industry headlines, business updates, medical reports, marketing, and e-commerce education rolled up perfectly for your consumption. Let's grow together. The Cannabis Radio Network. CannabisRadio.com. The Russ Belleville Show. Chat is for friends 18 and older. We expect our chat to be civil, mature, and free from excessive profanity. If you don't like these rules, there are approximately 6 billion other chat rooms with lower standards that you can visit. New beginner guitars and banjos are often constructed much better than ones built before your time. Why struggle? Get a new instrument or fix the old one. The trusted professionals at the Fingerboard Extension will evaluate your instrument for free. Repairs are priced for people who work for a living. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. must wage what I have called total war against public enemy number one. I support a change in law to end federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. That marijuana, pot, grass, whatever you want to call it, is probably the most dangerous drug. Some think there won't be room for them in jail. We'll make room. I experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't like it and didn't inhale. One major responsibility is to encourage people to use less drugs. Entirely legitimate topic uh, for debate. Radical rant. As marijuana legalization is heading to the November 2016 ballot, we've got five states that may add to the four that are currently legal. That is California, Arizona, Nevada, Massachusetts, and Maine. And particularly with those first three, California, Arizona, and Nevada, means that we will have an entire West Coast and Southwest of the United States where marijuana is legal. An entire time zone where marijuana is legal virtually. So the question becomes, what happens for those companies that want to maintain a so-called drug-free workplace? Now, don't worry, we're not talking about real drug-free workplace, like you can't smoke cigarettes or can't have a beer at lunch uh, with the boys or can't get a uh, ibuprofen from the receptionist when you got a headache. You can't get an antihistamine from your co Not talking really drug-free, right? We're, this illusion of drug-free, right? So the question becomes, as these states legalize, what happens to the drug-free workplace? What happens to states, in those states, to the companies that want to get a cup of your pee before they'll let you work for them? Well... The shorthand answer is not much. Already in these states that have medical marijuana laws, the uh, state Supreme Courts in Washington, Oregon, California, Colorado, and Michigan have all ruled on various cases that basically come down to you don't have a right to smoke pot. You can be fired from your job. You don't get any job protection. Now, some of these states that are passing initiatives, a couple of them have some employment protections, but California is not one of them. California will be just like Oregon and Washington in their legalization in that you can still be fired for being a legal marijuana user. There's a story in the LA Weekly about this, and they spoke to Edward Yost. He's a human resources guy, a group's called the Society for Human Resource Management, so all these HR professionals. And 
He says, once marijuana is legalized, that will protect you from prosecution. However, it doesn't protect your job. He's right. And his follow-up is the problem. He says, quote, most employers do testing because they don't want employees doing something and coming to work, whether that's drugs or alcohol. Alcohol is legal, but you can't drink it on the job, end quote. This, of course, unleashes the biggest issue with drug testing for marijuana. And that is, unlike all the other drugs you might be drug testing for, marijuana is the one that stays in your system the longest. Nobody is talking about being able to smoke a joint at the work site. But just like this guy says alcohol is legal, and, but you can't drink it on the job, well, marijuana is legal and you can't smoke it on the job, but drug testing doesn't tell us that you were smoking on the job or even immediately before the job or even a week before the job. All these other drugs that are drug tested for, methamphetamine, heroin, cocaine, LSD, psilocybin, MDMA, all these drugs that are tested for, you could party on those drugs on a Saturday night and turn up clean on the test Monday morning. But not marijuana. Marijuana is going to stick in your system anywhere from 3 to 30 days, depending on how much you use, how often you use, and what your body fat uh, looks like. So this is a situation where legalization of marijuana is going to expose the second-class citizenship of us marijuana consumers. And it's going to become increasingly difficult for these companies to maintain a straight face about the need for drug testing for marijuana in a place where it's legal, and increasingly we find the sky doesn't fall when it's legal. Already we, we talked to Dr. Mitch about that study about fewer sick days amongst cannabis consumers. We've seen the study about fewer pharmaceutical prescriptions in the medical marijuana states. Who would you rather have driving the forklift next to you? The guy that uses medical marijuana at night or the guy that's using Oxycontin right now? Well, it's a trick question because both of them are equally safe. People can do their jobs on Oxycontin. They do it all the time. And people can do their jobs as medical marijuana patients. They do it all the time. But these drug testers, while these... While these employers maintain their right to drug test, and in many cases, these initiatives underscore that, they go ahead and say, yes, you maintain your right to a drug-free workplace. This legalization does not change the drug-free workplace. While that's the law, what's happening in the culture is an entirely different thing. First of all, according to that Society for Human Resource Management, in 2013, they did a report, and in that report, they found that 78% of the employers conduct some sort of drug testing on some portion of their workforce. Not the management, of course, not the creatives. You know, the lower end of the workforce, usually. So they found, uh, yeah, like four out of five places where you could work are going to drug test. If it's in the transportation industry, it's 98%. Now, of those people that are drug testing, 90% are screening job candidates, that means 9 out of 10 are doing it, you know, as part of the job hire process. 71% are screening current employees. Only 32% are screening temporary or contract workers. Uh-huh. So as long as, like, basically the drug test, 
is just a test as to whether or not you get a real salary and some benefits. I worked most of my life as an IT contractor for that very reason that they didn't drug test. So we used to work harder, get paid less, and take all the shit jobs in IT because our pee had metabolites in it, and we didn't want to take a test for that. Most of these places are drug testing with urine tests, 95%. Uh, 11% do saliva tests, 7% do blood, 7% do hair. Now, that, that adds up to more than 100 because there could be multiple tests going on. So they still maintain this right to do so. They still maintain this right to be able to drug test. The question is, is culturally, will they be able to continue doing that? There's a great story in the New York Times from last May about these uh, heavy equipment manufacturers holding a job fair. And um, when they mentioned there'd be drug testing, about half the people at the job fair left. And employers all over the country are saying, oh, it's, it, it's difficult to find employers who can pass a workplace drug test. And this has gone up, by the way. Our, our positives have gone up ever since 1985 when Quest Diagnostics started looking at drug testing and they found that thir- about 13% of the people in the workforce were testing positive for drugs. That's been in decline ever since then. Every year it's gone down how many people they get a positive drug test out of, down to about the 3% range until two years ago. Their 2013 numbers, they found they raised up to something like 4.1%, from 3.7 to 4.1, and the last year, up to 4.7. More people are testing positive. And of course, what most people test positive for is marijuana, and of course, what's happened since 2012 is some states have legalized marijuana. So these employers are all upset that they can't find workers who will pass the drug test. They say many job seekers just don't bother to show up at the drug testing place. The number one reason they can't hire enough workers is they can't find enough people to pass a drug test. That's a quote from the governor of Georgia. So the question here is, in Colorado, they have this Colorado company saying it's unheard of to find a roofer or a painter that can pass a drug test. Uh, Another guy says, I was trying to uh, recruit uh, workers, and as soon as I said criminal background check or drug test, they're out the door. What do you know? The American people are starting to rebel against the idea that their employer needs to stick their nose into their private business. Good for you, American workers. Let's do some more of this. I want to see. And in fact, you know what it ought to, we ought to do is we ought to go through the entire hiring process and fail the drug tests. We ought to be applying for jobs that we know we're going to fail just to force them to take the time and to take the expense of getting that drug test failure. If more of us took these drug tests and failed them and those drug test failure numbers kept going up and up and up and up, there would be some point at which the employers would have to go, you know what? This is not doing us any good. All we're doing is losing good employees that we happen to randomly catch and keeping good employees from signing up with us because we put this privacy-killing drug test in front of them before they can get a job. I really believe, and I, I hope I live long enough to see this, I want to be an old man telling the kids how employers used to ask for your pee before you could get a job. I think at some point in our future, 
That is going to be as inconceivable as the concept of chattel slavery. What? You used to own people. What? You used to require pee before they could work. Just as insane. All right, not just as insane. Slavery, far worse. Let's be clear. <laughs> but it's absurd. They're both absurd. They're, I, I mean it in the sense of looking back from the future, you would think it's insane. Don't want to get letters on that one. <laughs> hey, folks, that's all the time we got for hour one. Thanks for joining us. We got another hour coming to you here from beautiful legal potland oregon and then following that hour you get an hour of stoner jesus coming live at the five o'clock hour pacific time for everyone here at cannabis radio i'm radical russ thanks for joining us and until next time take care of each other tokers this is the russ belleville show The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. It's time for Toker Talk Radio, the voice of the marijuana nation. What are you people? On dope? Or you can toke. I am here. Uh, or you can talk. I experimented with marijuana and didn't inhale. Or you can toke and talk. Ten federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. While we talk about toke on Toker Talk Radio. So, by the way, when it comes to pot, you know, if you're 40 years old, you live in a log cabin in Oregon, you got 12 giant pot plants in your backyard. Have a ball. Live from beautiful Potland, Oregon at Rolla J Studios. Freedom, freedom. Hey, this is great. Freedom, Just like cannabis. Plus your calls live at 971-533-7111. They're walking on their pants with their cap on backwards, listening to the end of a man, the snoopy, snoopy poop dog. What's to keep somebody from getting all potted up on weed and then getting behind the wheel? Gateway theory doesn't work. It's a reality. Holland, is it real? We're locking up people that take a couple of puffs of marijuana, and and the the next thing you know, they got 10 years. And now, here's your host, the guru of Gonta Graphics, the sultan of sativa statistics, and the worst nightmare of a reefer-mad prohibitionist. A polite, perspicacious, productive pothead with a propensity for PowerPoint. Radical Russ Belleville. All right, welcome back, tokers and tokets, non-token lovers of liberty. It's the 4 o'clock hour here in beautiful legal potland, Oregon. Glad you could be here. I'm just catching up on some of the news. The uh, Republican National Convention has started. And apparently there's all sorts of chaos going on. Naked women staging a protest. The never-Trump people trying to change the rules so they can get rid of Trump and not succeeding. (laughs) It's uh, quite interesting going on and um, interesting to watch this happen. The uh, Republicans, of course, are nowhere near marijuana reform. Nowhere near. 
they they ain't touching it with a ten foot pole. They did in their platform describe pornography as a public health menace. That's right, pornography, a public health menace, not an amazing proliferation of firearms and mass shootings, not the uh, opioid epidemic that is clearly addressable through the use of medical cannabis. Not even the Zika virus. Nope. It's pornography. Yeah, pornography. It's, it's funny to me how the GOP, which touts itself as being the uh, patriotic ones, the lovers of the Constitution, especially the one half of the Second Amendment that they cherish, it's funny to me how little of the rest of the Constitution they cherish. Pornography is a First Amendment right. It's a First Amendment right of expression. It's a First Amendment right of communication. It's a First Amendment right of speech. If you don't like the pornography, you don't have to watch the pornography. Right? They're not not broadcasting it on TV yet. You're not going to accidentally turn on your TV and see some porn. You actually have to log on to your computer and go to specific websites to find it. If you got cable, it's on certain channels, and you can change those channels. You can even lock those channels out. But no, it's it's porn that's a big problem to the GOP. Okay. <sighs> I just wish they loved the First Amendment like they loved the Second. That would be that would be nice to see. And then there's the Democrats. Oh my God, the Democrats getting together next week. It's going to be cool. Chris Goldstein and N.A. Poe uh, were quoted in that story I covered earlier. How they're bringing the uh, 51 foot inflatable joint to the Democratic convention. Should be quite interesting. The uh, the Hillary Clinton campaign is pushing hard for democratic unity. They are they're stunned. They're they're flummoxed by the uh, burning or bust crowd. They they can't believe it. They can't understand why people who would support a democratic socialist who wants to break up the banks aren't getting behind the corporate sponsored bank owned candidate it's weird isn't it isn't it weird trevor noah from the uh, daily show actually had a, a piece on this the other day if you don't vote for clinton you're effectively voting for trump i am so tired of hearing that so tired of hearing that there is only one way donald trump gets a vote and that's if you vote for donald trump it's simple math really Vote for Hillary Clinton, she gets a vote, and nobody else does. Vote for Donald Trump, he gets a vote, and nobody else does. Or vote for Gary Johnson, and he gets a vote, and nobody else does. Trump can only win if he has more votes than everybody else. And the only way he gets more votes is people voting for him. We'll talk more about this when we come back from break, because I am tired of this... Donald Trump gun being held to my head to force me to vote for Hillary Clinton. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Being green is good. Growing green is good. Making green is great. CannabisRadio.com. 
Jabber, hurry! Its temperature is shooting past a thousand degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up! I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct! Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber. Doctor's orders. Less heat, (laughs) more flavor. Tommy Chong is ready to cut through the smoke and change the tone of Tilk Radio. I hope everybody's got their vape pen handy or their pipe or their bong or whatever you use to do your medicine. Well, you don't, it's not a requirement. You don't have to be high for this show. Yeah, you do. <laughs> okay. I don't know who you're talking to. You have to be high to do anything. At least I do. I don't know about you. In fact, I've been high so long that being straight is another high. The Tommy Chung Podcast, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome to my world. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. We need to build a wall. Okay, maybe you're high too. With over six years of experience in the industry, New Era CPAs is one of the nation's leading cannabis accounting firms, helping hundreds of growers, dispensaries, and ancillary companies with their tax, legal, and business strategies. New Era CPAs offices cover the West Coast from Seattle to San Diego, and their skilled team is always available to help you take your business to the next level. Visit NewEraCPAs.com for more info and set up a consultation. Welcome to the New Era. Warning, hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. <coughs> or at least they pay me to say that. This is the Rush Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody. Eight after the hour. And I want to continue on this uh, mini rant <laughs> about uh, this lesser of two evils voting. And it's a weird place for me to be because year after year, I've I've been the guy that's told people, look, it's a two-party system, like it or not, game theory, math, only only a Democrat or Republican can win. So I'm, I'm kind of going against stuff I've said in the past, and I hope that's okay. You know, sometimes you come upon new information, a new understanding, and you might have to change your mind on something. And this is what I'm changing my mind on. I used to be one of these guys that would tell people, don't vote third party. You're throwing your vote away. Only a Democrat or a Republican can win. And there were always two main examples of that. The first example would be the 1992 Clinton-Bush-Perot race. And the other example would be the 2000 Bush-Gore-Nader race. Now, in the Clinton race, Bill Clinton only won the presidency with 42% of the, of the popular vote. Because uh, uh, Ross Perot took about 19%, took about 20%. It was a, I don't even know if it was that high. I might be thinking John Anderson from back in the 80s. But anyway, Perot took some of the vote. And the way people looked at it was, had it been Clinton and Bush, Bush would have won. But Perot sucked off some of Bush's support. Because Perot was this libertarian candidate and Bush, was, I guess he was independent, wasn't he? Anyway, but he was kind of on the right, 
Okay, so so Bush being on the right, they split the vote of the righties, and so the lefty gets in. Bill Clinton. Yeah, yes, we'll call Bill Clinton a lefty for now. <laughs> and the other example would be two thousand Bush Gore Nader, where Nader's considered to be on the left of Gore, and so the lefties split their votes up, and that allows Bush to win. Now, that wasn't as cut and dried because there was a whole Florida debacle and hanging chads and a Supreme Court and everything. But those are generally the two cases that are given to justify this lesser of two evils voting. And that's why I think this year is different. If we look back to 1992 or we look back to 2000, people who identify themselves as Republican or Democrat, depending on which year, made up a plurality of the voters. These days, neither Democrats nor Republicans are the plurality. Independents are at like 40 or 41%. So right off the bat, the, the people who you would call Democratic voters or Republican voters who'd be throwing their votes away is less than 60% of them. So the remaining 40, that 40% of independents, you can't call them naturally Hillary voters or naturally uh, uh, Trump voters, they're independents. They don't, they've turned off to both parties. And then you get a Gary Johnson who joins the race. Now, if Gary Johnson gets more and more traction in this race, it's not going to be a situation like a Perot pulling only from the Republicans or a Nader pulling only from the Democrats. I feel Gary Johnson, and so far the polls have proven me right on this, Gary Johnson's pulling from both sides. Gary Johnson's going to pull from both sides. Now, if that's the case, you don't have to feel guilty about voting for Gary Johnson. I don't at all, because my vote was never a natural Hillary vote. Yes, I've voted Democratic on numerous occasions in the past, and generally they tend to reflect my values and vision more than Republicans. And that's why I'm not voting for Hillary. I already said this months ago. I don't vote for Republicans, and Hillary is a Republican. She is a Rockefeller Republican, a moderate Republican. Sorry, she just is. Too many of her owners, too many of the things she's beholden to reek of Republican. So this year, you don't have to feel guilty. You can vote for Gary Johnson knowing that, hey, he's going to pull from Republican. He's going to pull from Democrat. If Gary Johnson pulls equally from both sides, then if Hillary wins or loses, it's still the same effect as to whether or not Gary Johnson didn't run at all. If Gary Johnson pulls equally from both sides, he is not a spoiler. Unlike Nader or Gore were. Now, we also have to take into account something that didn't exist for the Bush-Gore-Nader race or for the Clinton-Bush-Perot uh, race, and that is... The two candidates from the leading parties are the most hated candidates of the leading parties ever. I fully believe that Donald Trump has a ceiling of support that can't possibly get above 40%. And I think Hillary Clinton is finding her support declining. We've seen it take a crash after her obvious lies about her email server. I mean, how many different media outlets ran that back-to-back UN 2015 Hillary versus James Comey and his report 
I, did you see that get run on Morning Joe? Mika Brzezinski can only just roll her eyes. And in this kind of unique situation, I think if Gary Johnson can get that 15% and get on that debate stage, and there can be a clear third choice that isn't seen as a protest or a spoiler vote, but actually starts to seem like, hey, this guy could have a shot. That's just going to feed that. The only thing that's keeping third parties down is the fact that nobody believes third parties can win. That's what's, that's what, what, how many people have you spoken to who say, well, yeah, I'd like to vote for Gary Johnson, but he just can't win. Third parties just can't win. Well, yeah, if you say third parties can't win and you won't vote for them, then you're right. (laughs) They can't win. But consider this. Consider an election where Johnson gets into the debates and electrifies the audiences, is able to point out how similar Hillary and Donald are on many, many uh, issues and paint himself as the credible alternative. Imagine an election season where the both sides are disappointed in their candidate and 40% of the electorate is independent. Finally seeing a valid third option that has a chance to win. Now, what the popular vote says doesn't mean fuck all in all of this. You know that, right? We don't popularly elect our president. It goes down to the electoral college that usually in most cases follows what the state voters tell them to do. Some states force them to, not all of them do. So already on the GOP in the convention right now, we're seeing this never Trump movement. These people that are just you know, flabbergasted at the idea that he'd be their leader and destroy their electoral possibilities for the next generation of Latinos and African-Americans and women and millennials. And they desperately want some other answer. So imagine that we get to the election and there's enough support for Gary Johnson that he's able to actually win a couple of states. And to win a state, he's not going to need a lot, right? There's a three-way race. He could get it with 40% of the vote if Clinton and Trump split the rest, right? So take his home state of New Mexico. Gary Johnson was a governor there for uh, for, uh, two terms. That's five electoral votes sitting there, I think. I don't think uh, Bill Weld's going to help Johnson take Massachusetts over Hillary Clinton. But I do think there are some intermountain western states, small, rural, libertarian-leaning states that could go Gary Johnson's way. Places that rejected Donald Trump even when it was clear Donald Trump was going to be the winner. Places like Idaho, Utah, Wyoming, Montana, North and South Dakota. Imagine a few of those interior, highly conservative red states that are also highly religious and are turned off by Donald Trump. Imagine they go Gary Johnson's way. And he picks up 20, 30, 40 electoral votes, maybe. And maybe that's enough electoral votes that neither Hillary Clinton nor Donald Trump can get to the 270 they need to win the Electoral College. Okay, so what happens then? Well, in a case where no candidate gets a majority of the Electoral College, the election goes to the House. And it's an interesting procedure. This is all in the 12th Amendment and the 20th Amendment. The top three finishers go to the House of Representatives. This happened before. I think it was the election of 1804. Uh, John Quincy Adams and uh, 
who else? Who else was involved? Andrew Jackson, Clay, and somebody else were all involved. Four guys split the electoral vote. So the top three of them went to the House. And then Clay, the third place finisher, dropped out and gave his votes to the top finisher. And that's how uh, John Quincy Adams became president. A little history lesson. Anyway, in this scenario, Trump, Hillary, and Johnson would go to the, the House of Representatives. Each state has one vote. And that vote is determined by their reps. So in a state like Idaho that's got two representatives, maybe those two vote for Johnson. That's one state voting for Johnson. Some states, you might have a deadlock. You might have one Republican, one Democrat. They pick two different guys. That state ends up not picking anybody because they couldn't come to a majority consensus for that particular state. So imagine a few states deadlocking. And then what is required is that the finisher then has to uh, uh, get a majority of the states. So you'd have to get 26 states to win. If that doesn't happen, I can see a scenario where that doesn't happen, where they can't break the tie. The vice presidential candidates, the top two vice presidential candidates are selected by the Senate, and whoever that vice president is that's selected becomes the president if the House can't break the tie. Folks, That could lead us to Hillary Clinton's VP or Donald Trump's vice president actually being president. There are white folks and then there are ignorant motherfuckers like you. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Thank you, Mr. President. Got some good comments in the uh, chat room here. John Thomas talking about how the Johnson Weld ticket will be tough among seniors because of their want to dismantle social security and other social programs yeah i'm not saying it's going to be an easy road to hoe (laughs) i'm just so tired of the duopoly happy 420 everybody we'll come back and talk about some weed when we return cannabis use isn't the only thing growing so are we grow with us cannabisradio.com Play as Ted Growing, expelled botany sophomore and the biggest grower in town, only on Weed Firm Replanted. Available on the App Store and Google Play. It's a lot of work being the biggest grower in town. Maintaining a room full of plants while dealing with a slew of eccentric customers, from a hardcore partier to the curious neighbor next door. Is anybody home? Help me expand my bud business by unlocking new strains, customizing my grow room, and completing challenges that you can't get enough of. Grow your empire so big you can see it from space. Low on funds? Don't worry. Weed Firm Replanted is free to download. Download Weed Firm Replanted for free on the App Store and Google Play today. Get growing, Mr. Growing. It's time for Cannabis Facts About Alzheimer's from Robert Platshorn's TheSilverTour.org. This message is supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at hempinc.com. A new Florida study in the journal Molecular and Cellular Neuroscience found that cannabis promotes the growth of healthy new brain tissue. It can slow the effects of Alzheimer's and may, in fact, be able to halt it entirely. A long-term study by Ohio State University's Professor Gary Wink concludes that people who regularly use marijuana get Alzheimer's at a much lower rate than others. This was Cannabis Facts from thesilvertour.org, an educational nonprofit supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at hempinc.com. This is the Russ Belleville Show, annoying Kevin Sabat since 2012. 
At Herbie's Cannabis Seeds, we pride ourselves on bringing you the best quality seeds from the world's most respected cannabis seed producers, all at the lowest online prices. You can find Herbie's Seeds at Herbie'sHeadShop.com. All cannabis seeds are sold as souvenirs and as a means of preserving cannabis genetics. Herbie's Seeds in no way intends to condone, promote, or incite the use of illegal or controlled substances. We strongly urge all prospective customers to check their national laws prior to placing an order. Herbie's Seeds at Herbie'sHeadShop.com. Proud sponsors of The Russ Belville Show and 420 Radio. You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody. 23 after the hour, and uh, I said I was going to come back and talk about weed, but I flipped through the internet and saw something else that I got to make a comment on. I just can't help it. So I, I had seen some things flying around. I, I mentioned yesterday I was in bed all day. Uh, my back has been killing me. Lower back. I don't know what's up. So I was in bed, and I'd gone through Twitter a couple times, but really I was in such pain I didn't do much of anything but just lay. Lay in the bed and watch YouTube. But I'd heard something about the Baton Rouge shooting. And I'm like, yeah, that, you know, the whole case of Alton Sterling, you know, the young man that was uh, gunned down selling CDs in front of a convenience store in Baton Rouge. Yeah, that's terrible, the Baton Rouge shooting. No, that was the last Baton Rouge shooting. There's a new one. This time... A guy that uh, ambushed cops and uh, killed three of them. Similar to what we saw out of Dallas. And wow, what do you say about that? For so long, we have had this undercurrent among the people that support the Second Amendment. And this undercurrent has been, this justification has been, that we need to maintain our arsenal so that we can rise up and apply Second Amendment remedies, to quote a former Nevada uh, official. We need to apply Second Amendment remedies to the problem of a tyrannical government. Hasn't that been the justification, right? Second Amendment remedies for, to a tyrannical government. So if you're a black person in this country... And you continually, day after day after day after day, in measures small and grand, see your government mistreating you and your people. How does that whole Second Amendment remedy fit in that context? You know the old saying, one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter, right? Now, Don't misconstrue what I'm saying here. I am not at all condoning anybody shooting anybody. Cops shooting people or people shooting cops. I want the shootings to stop. But it also reminds me of Chris Rock's routine on O.J. Simpson when he said, I don't support O.J. for what he did, but I understand it. I understand what led him to that. Well, I understand what's leading these people to kill cops. You can only deny justice so long. You can only deny that so long before somebody 
reacts like this, before someone acts out like this. No justice, no peace isn't just a slogan. And, and I wonder how many of those Bundy Ranch types, you know, supporters of, the, of Clive and Bundy down there in Nevada, who just didn't want to pay taxes, and he had his redneck militia drawing up sniper positions against federal agents. I wonder what they think about these black people shooting cops up. I bet they don't hold them in the same regard, do they? For some reason, if you're a white guy in Nevada who just doesn't want to pay pay taxes, you can threaten the cops all you want with your weapons. But if you're a black guy and your people continually get screwed every day of the week in every way possible, then we're supposed to be shocked when they go up and start uh, using their Second Amendment rights. Now, I know what some would say. Well, there's a difference, Russ. We're talking about law-abiding gun owners. Nobody at the Bundy Ranch ever shot nobody. Right, only because the feds backed down. There'd have been plenty, there would have been plenty of shooting had our side, the U.S. government side, not backed down. Seems like quite a double standard to me that we can have people openly calling for this idea that we need to rebel against our tyrannical government, that we need to have guns to f- fire against our tyrannical government. But when a real tyranny is happening and has been happening in this country for 400 years to black people, they don't seem to hold that tyrannical government to the same standards. Just, it's frustrating to me. And I, I have to talk about it because that's what I do, but uh, it's starting to bum me out. So let's get back to talking about weed and uh, how that could help. First of all, let's get everybody high. (laughs) This ought to be, um, you know, uh, uh, bongs for justice, uh, joints for justice. Let's, what are we going to call it? You remember when uh, President Obama had that beer summit? When they had the, the Henry Louis Gates, African-American professor, got busted by cops trying to get into his own house. So they had a beer summit. Let's get together on the South Lawn and have a beer and talk it out. Let's have a joint summit. How about that? How about we have a joint summit about all of these shootings? Get everybody in the room together. Get them all baked as hell. Talk it out. All right, let's talk about weed because that's the important thing here. We, we are on the verge of the biggest change in this country's culture in a long time. It's been interesting because I've, I, like I said, I was, uh, I was laid up yesterday. So I was watching a bunch of old videos on YouTube and I, I happened to get one that was, uh, Joe Rogan and Tommy Chong on Paul Provenza's show, uh, the green room it's on showtime. And this was a clip from 2011. So it's Tommy Chong and, and, uh, Joe Rogan talking about legalization before it had happened. And of course, a lot of the things they said about legalization absolutely came true, right? You know, we didn't see an increase in teen use, but yada, yada. But it was interesting watching and listening to the discussion from before legalization. It's like we, we, have, a, we have an AD and a BC now. We have a before and after legalization that happened in 2012. And the conversations just aren't even the same anymore. It's amazing. I, I, I went looking back through some of my articles, too, 
from 2010, 2011, you know, before Prop 19 even, you know, failed in 2010. And it's interesting how much the discussion has changed in just these three years of full-scale legalization being uh, implemented. Remember when, remember when Kevin Sabat used to warn us that, well, for every $1 we bring in in alcohol and tobacco taxes, it costs us $10 in social costs. Remember that? Remember the Sabbat conjecture? <laughs> Sabet conjecture? Every dollar in tax is going to cost you $10 in social costs. You don't hear that one anymore, do you? Nobody mentions that one anymore, do they? Because we actually can plug numbers in now. And I predicted this. I told people for the longest time, going back to the first time Kevin Sabet ever said it, is that if you want to know, like I used to, I used to say, okay, estimate me, estimate for me what the social cost will be. And then we'll just make the tax that right. (laughs) Like, okay, so let's admit we fucked up with alcohol and tobacco. Let's admit it. They should be taxed 10 times more than they are. They got away with it. We'll forget about it for now. So since we're starting anew with marijuana, tell me how much it's going to cost. Whatever that cost is, that's what the tax will be. Uh, oh, well, no, uh, well, we couldn't find out. There's so many variable, blah, blah, you know, not a lot of answer to that question because he knew what the whole propaganda scaremongering was about. And that is uncertainty. All the prohibitionists have is fear, uncertainty, and doubt. FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And so this $1 in alcohol taxes, $10 worth of alcohol costs was a way to lead someone into inferring that, oh, therefore, $1 in marijuana tax will be a $10 in marijuana cost without him having to get stuck to that, without him having to say that. It made one side of the equation, or the equality, but not the other side of the equality, right? And so I always poked a hole in that by saying, well, tell me what it's going to cost. Give me one of the variables on that other side, and I can figure out the other one. Oh, no, that, that exposes the trick, right? And now... The trick is fully exposed because we actually have data for one of the numbers in the equation. We have $200 million in tax revenue and counting. It's more now because that's an old figure. $200 million in tax revenue from Washington and Colorado. Well, let's go back to the equation. For every $1 in taxes, there's $10 in costs. So all you got to do now is show me the $2 billion in social costs. Two billion. Good luck. Because you can't find it. You can't find it in the kids smoking pot more because they're not. You can't find it in traffic fatalities because they're down. You try to find it in ER visits perhaps, but I doubt you got $2 billion worth of them. Lost productivity? Hell, we just saw the study come out that say fewer sick days. We saw the study coming out saying fewer Medicare prescription costs. So even if we didn't count all the savings that we're making on that and the savings on law enforcement that are having to bust people all the time, where's the $2 billion in costs? Hell, I'll even give you a push. Show me $200 million in social costs for marijuana. And they don't want to do that. You know if the numbers were in their favor, they would. But they can't. That's how much the discussion on marijuana has changed in just three or four years from having actual data. This is another point that I made oftentimes 
in the, in the later 2000s when I'd be on stump speeches from state to state. I would say one of the things that's tough about legalization is you're getting people to vote for something they have to imagine. Yeah, we can say treat it like alcohol, and that helps a little. But nobody has ever seen or imagined what the world would be like with legal weed. Well, now we know. Now we know that the world doesn't change much except for increasing your economy, your housing values, decreasing your violent crime, decreasing your property crime, creating jobs, increasing tax revenues. Now we know. That's why you're seeing 60% support in the polls down there in California for legalization. And that's what's going to kill prohibition. Once California falls, and with it, Arizona and Nevada, and, and yes, Maine and Massachusetts, that's great too. But the real focus will be when people look at a map, and I know it's like we're all 50 states, right? But Massachusetts is a little tiny state. And Maine, nobody even... Half the people probably think Maine's part of Canada, right? They don't, they're not looking at that corner of the map. They look at that left side of the map and see the entire Pacific time zone from San Diego to Seattle and the, mecca, the, the, the party gambling mecca of Las Vegas and Phoenix and Tucson, including that, the, the, the Valley of the Sun, we're going to have a whole section, a whole region of the United States where marijuana is legal. And and the tax revenues that are going to come in from California alone are going to completely change the discussion. You'll see in 2017, 2018, it's not going to be a matter of whether or not we should legalize marijuana in our state. It's how quickly can we legalize marijuana in our state? Because if you're the 10th state to legalize, there's still some money, there's still some tourism, there's still some cachet, and the prices of marijuana are still pretty high. If you're the 49th state or the 50th, <laughs> you're going to be coming in when weed's down to 10 bucks an ounce, and nobody's going to want to come to your state to smoke it because they already got it legal in their state. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. We don't limit how much you smoke, and we don't limit where you listen. Cannabis Radio is now on iTunes, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber Vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Vuber way. CannabisRadio.com keeps you in the know Monday through Friday on air and on demand with Cannabis Radio News. Presented with the definitive worldwide news source, the Associated Press. Stay informed with exclusive news on all things cannabis. Cannabis Radio News, live weeknights at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific, during the Russ Belville Show. Or download the daily podcast exclusively on CannabisRadio.com, as well as iTunes, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. When breaking news happens in the cannabis industry, Cannabis Radio News delivers the details first.
The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. With over six years of experience in the industry, New Era CPAs is one of the nation's leading cannabis accounting firms, helping hundreds of growers, dispensaries, and ancillary companies with their tax, legal, and business strategies. New Era CPAs offices cover the West Coast from Seattle to San Diego, and their skilled team is always available to help you take your business to the next level. Visit NewEraCPAs.com for more info and set up a consultation. Welcome to the New Era. Hello, Mr. Man. Hi. I'm doing, I'm, I'm working. I'm sorry. No food till this is done. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. All right, welcome back, everybody. Talking a little bit about politics and marijuana. We do know uh, two out of the three vice presidential candidates at this point. Former Massachusetts Governor William Weld is running with Gary Johnson on the Libertarian ticket. And current Indiana Governor Mike Pence is running with Donald Trump on the Republican ticket. We don't know who Hillary Clinton has chosen yet. My bet is on Raul Castro. But uh, we'll see. And what's interesting about this is uh, earlier in the hour, I told you about that crazy scenario that could happen where if no candidate gets 270 electoral votes, it goes to the House. The top three presidential candidates are chosen by the states. Each state gets one vote. The vote is decided by their uh, uh, representatives in that state. So if your state has two reps, those two decide if your states like California has 55 reps or 53 reps, I think, uh, then those 53 vote and decide. But California gets one vote. Idaho gets one vote, Oregon and so on. You got to get 26 states to win the thing. And if that doesn't happen, if the House can't come to a decision where one candidate gets a majority of the votes, the other side kicks in. And that is that the vice president is chosen by the Senate. And the Senate, each senator gets one vote, 100 votes total. The Senate is currently, what is it, 55-45 Republican? And that vote is among the top two vice presidential candidates. So suppose that scenario I outlined where we get a Hillary Clinton, let's say Clinton wins, Trump's second, but Gary Johnson's pulled enough electoral votes in third place to, to deny the electoral college. So it's down to Hillary, Donald, and Gary in the House. But in the Senate, they would be choosing between Hillary Clinton's running mate and Mike Pence. Okay. So on the House side, if they don't come to a decision on the House side, the vice president who is selected by the Senate becomes the acting president. And in a 55-45 Republican Senate, I got to believe they're going to pick Mike Pence. So the nightmare scenario of a governor, Gary Johnson candidacy could be president Mike Pence. Here's why that's kind of scary. Among other reasons, uh, Tom angel at marijuana.com has done a great breakdown of this Trump for all his faults. And there are numerous on the marijuana issue is one of the best Republican candidates we've ever seen. I know I got to hold my nose as I say it because there is everything else about Trump is reprehensible. 
but his stand on marijuana is pretty good. If, if this election were just on marijuana, I could vote for Donald Trump. It would have to just be on marijuana policy, though, because Donald Trump has said that he supports medical marijuana 100%, saying, I know people that are very, very sick, and for whatever reason, the marijuana really helps them. So Trump's convinced on medical. Unlike Hillary, we don't hear him saying, oh, we need more research. Now, he is opposed to full legalization, but he's one of them states' rights Republicans on it. He has said, quote, I really believe you should leave it up to the states. It should be a state situation. In terms of marijuana and legalization, I think that should be a state issue, state by state, end quote. Hell, that's a great stand from a Republican candidate. Problem is, Mike Pence doesn't agree with that. Indiana Governor Mike Pence is one of the most reefer-mad politicians out there. He's just awful. Six times he voted for the government to still be able to raid medical marijuana patients six times. And in 2012, he was against medical marijuana for the state of Indiana because, because it's a gateway drug. Now let's see if we can, uh, we can get this Mike Pence clip to play for you. I'll see if this will play on the, I don't know if it's on the right line, but we'll try it. Mike Pence at the Indiana gubernatorial debate. See if we can get that quote for you. Of course, it's going to load really slow when I need it to load really fast, but that's okay. Okay, so let me pause this. We'll get this question on medical marijuana here from Mike Pence. This was back in 2012, by the way. From Mary Hoffer, a registered nurse from Warsaw, who's here with us tonight. Mary? Hi, thank you for letting me be here. 18 states and the District of Columbia have all enacted some type of medical marijuana law. Should medical marijuana come before you as our next governor, would you support or oppose it, and why? Mr. Gregg, you're first. You know, Mary, um, I would oppose the decriminalization of marijuana. This is the Democratic uh, candidate. I don't think that's the solution. I know the legislator who uh, introduced or has proposed that, and I understand these reasons. I have a lot of respect for him. So already, I mean, we are talking about Indiana. So even the Democrat running in Indiana can't bring himself to support medical marijuana. But let's hear who the winner, the winner was Mike Pence in this election, what Mike Pence had to say. Uh, I, I would not support the decriminalization of marijuana. Uh, to be candid with you, growing up in the Hoosier State, I've, I've seen too many people uh, become involved with marijuana and have their lives sidetracked as a result, or to see marijuana become a gateway drug uh, to even worse uh, addictions on their part. I'm proud to be endorsed by the State Police Alliance, the Indianapolis Fraternal Order of Police. We need to get more serious about confronting the scourge of drugs, especially meth in Indiana. Um, and uh, decriminalization is not the right path, in my honest opinion. Okay, gentlemen. Now, the interesting thing about this is the question wasn't about decriminalization of marijuana. It was medical marijuana. The lady asked if a medical marijuana bill came across your desk. Medical marijuana doesn't decriminalize marijuana. Medical marijuana merely gives you an affirmative defense to prosecution. Marijuana remains illegal. But Mike Pence can't even go that far without blurting out gateway drug and meth. This is the kind of understanding he would be bringing to the Oval Office if, God forbid, he became president. Now, not only is that nightmare scenario a way he could become president, I fully believe that Donald Trump, should he win this election, 
I fully believe he pulls a Sarah Palin and quits before half his term's even over. I, I do. I believe it. I believe he wins. He gets into office, and then once he realizes he knows jack shit about politics and can't get anything done, he'll go off on some sort of, it's all rigged, I was the president, and nobody let me do anything, and uh, it's, all a, it's all a game, it's all a sham, not worthy of my time, whatever. And then, then what? Then we're stuck with Mike Pence again. <laughs> so it's, it's tough in this election, I know. I can't bring myself to vote for Hillary Clinton. I just cannot give an approval to her. I just can't. I just cannot. There's just too many things on the list that she not only supports, but just is the living embodiment of that I can't get behind. Now, our uh, John Thomas in the chat room has put forth a uh, petition and I think he'll probably put the link up in the chat room again. But uh, you can go ahead and sign this petition. It basically calls on the Democrats. It's, it's kind of an ultimatum. And the ultimatum is this. If you want me to vote for Hillary Clinton, de-schedule marijuana. Now, obviously, there's so many other considerations going on in the world. To think that Hillary or Obama is going to be swayed by this is some wishful thinking. But if there's enough numbers on this thing, there's enough people out there that say, hey, look, you want a desperate last attempt to get my vote, legalize pot. I might even be swayed by that. I don't know. Probably not. (laughs) Probably not, to be honest with you. But maybe some other people would. Maybe that would be a way to break into some millennial votes. Problem is, it's not going to happen because... Hillary Clinton is too beholden to her pharmaceutical donors. We talked earlier about, um, about uh, uh, Bernie Sanders being able to get some progressive planks through the platform uh, with the uh, Democrats being able to get that, you know, support for medical marijuana, for example. But here are some of the votes that went down is a 13 member committee. Bernie Sanders is able to get six of his people on the committee. There were six votes that went seven to six against attacks on carbon, against banning fracking, against blocking energy companies from using eminent domain to get their oil and gas, about making climate change a test for the Keystone Pipeline, against going for single-payer health care, and against searching for ways to make health care a right. Two of those having to do with healthcare got shot down by the organizing committee that has a majority of Hillary Clinton supporters on it. Two, three, I'm sorry, four, four items. So four items that have to do with climate change, carbon tax, fracking, eminent domain for fossil fuels and climate change for Keystone pipeline, all lost because of the Hillary Clinton majority. The Energy companies and the pharmaceutical companies own this woman. So I, so really, on the, on the marijuana issue, if it was just marijuana and Gary Johnson weren't involved at all, if, it, if it's just marijuana and it's just Clinton and Trump, I'd have to advise you to vote for Trump. Trump's got a much more laissez-faire, leave my hands off of it, let the states alone attitude. 
Hillary Clinton's all about, hey, how are we going to get this to Schedule 2 and get it pharmaceuticalized so my donors will give me more money? So if it, if it were really just marijuana and just Clinton-Trump, I'd tell you to vote for Trump. He's the better candidate on marijuana. Now, obviously, it's not just about marijuana. <laughs> obviously, it's about an orange-skinned madman having his finger on the nuclear button. That's part of the problem, right? Another part of the problem is the most corrupt, obviously lying, politically calculating creature we've seen in a generation in Hillary Clinton. So, so am I more worried about the crazy guy I can't predict or the corrupt woman I can predict? That's why this whole, you know, vote for Trump, vote for Clinton threats don't threaten me at all. I can see bad things happening from both of them. I can see both of them facing obstruction that prevents them from getting anything good done. Now, another argument that comes back is the uh, the judiciary choosing not just Supreme Court justices, but uh, federal court judgeships, appeals court judgeships. Almost, is it about 100 of them that have gone unfilled because Congress refuses to seat any of Obama's picks? How's that going to change? Already, we've got a Senate, a Republican Senate, that won't approve a Supreme Court justice. What, Hillary's going to get in and suddenly they're going to make nice and start approving Supreme Court justices? Or, more likely, Hillary's going to appoint pro-energy, pro-corporate type justices that the GOP would like. So your Supreme Court argument doesn't work on me either because I don't think we're going to get that much better as Supreme Court out of Hillary Clinton. And for her saying she's going to push an amendment to end Citizens United in her first 100 days, first 30 days, something like that, we'll see. All right, we've got to take a break, get the studio ready for Stoner Jesus. He's coming up at the top of the hour. He'll save your stony soul. Maybe he can pray for my stony back. Stay tuned. Back in a minute. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Maui Wowie. Acapulco Gold. California Kush. Our strains stretch everywhere, too. This is the Cannabis Radio Network. <sighs> cash? Sorry. I don't carry around cash, and I don't want to use the ATM and pay surcharges. You don't need to carry cash. Haven't you heard about PayQuick? Okay, tell me about PayQuick. It's the safe and easy way to pay. It works just like your debit card to securely pay for your purchase, and it gives you rewards points every time you use it. Nice. PayQuick, the safe and easy way to pay. P-A-Y-Q-W-I-C-K dot com. Normal stands for responsible adult cannabis use. If cannabis use is causing problems in your life, consider taking a break or seeking medical assistance. Consider ceasing cannabis use if you have a family history of mental illness. Don't drive or operate heavy machinery while impaired by cannabis use. Cannabis use is not without risks, even though the risks are far less than those posed by legal drugs. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. <laughs> 
The Supreme Court is wrong on the Second Amendment. Okay. Maybe you're high, too. Don't want to spend money on a night out, but don't know what to do other than watching TV or playing video games? Consider playing guitar, bass, banjo, or mandolin. The instrument will give you hours of entertainment with friends with minimal expense. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension, downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today, or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. Have a package here for Radical Rick. Is there a Radical Rick here? How about a Rick Russ? Any any Rick Russ? Somebody named Freddie Barack has sent him a package. Anybody? What is that? Sounds like a skunk. You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody. 55 after the hour. Coming up in just less than five minutes, Stoner Jesus takes over the microphone here at CannabisRadio.com. He'll save your stony soul, make you laugh while he's doing it. Every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday here on Cannabis Radio at 5 p.m. Pacific and 8 p.m. Eastern Time. I'm looking forward to the uh, Democratic and Republican conventions. Already the Republican convention is, is kind of chaotic. <laughs> the never-Trump people trying to change the rules. There'll be chanting and shout-downs. And there was a uh, protest of 100 naked women outside the convention. Very interesting times we're living in here. Also, I understand there's a, a, a security area around the Quicken Loans Arena where you cannot bring firearms. But uh, in the area immediately around that, firearms are okay. You can have your gun, but you can't have any silly string. You can't have any um, aerosol cans. There's all sorts of things you can't have, but a gun is not one of them. You can you can have a gun. So who knows uh, what may transpire for the GOP convention by the time this thing's all over. It's fun watching um, some of the mainstream pundits uh, freaking out over this coming Thursday when Trump will officially be coronated as the Republican nominee and it's funny because when they lost with Mitt Romney that's when they thought that was the worst they could do we lost once again to Obama and they did an uh, autopsy for their uh, party and they said hey we need to appeal more to women and Latinos and African Americans and Millennials and so what did they do <laughs> they ended up nominating the exact opposite of that a guy who makes Mitt Romney look positively stately. <laughs> uh, remember when Mitt Romney got in on trouble with his little 47% takers thing? How, how much a shock that was? This seems quaint in re- retrospect, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, well. I got to turn on some CNN, folks. Thanks for joining us. That's all the time we got for today. Tune in tomorrow for more news and interviews you can use for the cannabis community. For everyone here at CannabisRadio.com, I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us, and until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a scene, you plan it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it.